This is Building Matters, a BG Building Works podcast covering news and topics in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. Welcome to Building Matters. I'm your host, Eric Rubottom. Uh, we're hopping into our second episode here, uh, going to talk about a little bit more of a timely topic, uh, given the uh, the global pandemic that's going on around us. We're going to dive into the more of the technical aspects of COVID-19 and the novel coronavirus, uh, and specifically how that's really impacting uh, uh, the construction industry and maybe more specifically uh, our building systems out there and what can be done and uh, to, uh, to try to mitigate uh, the, the spread of the coronavirus. In order to do that today, we're going to be uh, joined by our guest, Erin Passold, today. Uh, she is a pr- senior project manager at BG Building Works. Uh, she's spent her an, an entire career, 15 years at BG, uh, and she currently acts as our mechanical technical services leader. So she's been uh, responsible for uh, doing a lot of the uh, the research and, uh, and investigation into uh, what those recommendations and requirements are out there uh, surrounding the coronavirus. So, Erin, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me in. Uh, well, let's jump right into it. Um, first, let's throw just throw this out on the table. Can a building mechanical system do anything to fully eliminate the concern of coronavirus spread? Uh, in short, no. Um, there are so many factors that, uh, as I think we have, are learning, if anyone's a germaphobe, et cetera, just there's so many things that um, go into this that the HVAC system alone cannot fully remove, eliminate, mitigate, um, you know, airborne pathogens and whatnot, um, can, can it help? Most definitely, but um, it alone cannot. Um, if we think of the of an indoor environment, there are so many things outside of what the HVAC system contributes to. Um, you know, the, the HVAC system does not force you to wash your hands. The HVAC system does not... Um, dictate that you uh, cough into your elbow or cover your cough, um, wear a mask, things like that. So there's a lot of things that are outside uh, what the HVAC system can address that it alone cannot, um, again, fully mitigate, fully remove, fully reduce, ensure 100% that you have a a safe environment. Um, It definitely, again, it helps. Uh, but um, it, we actually read a little blurb that uh, it's actually to those items that I mentioned earlier, washing your hands, covering your mouth, that those, those items are actually the paramount of helping to reduce the spread and whatnot. And the HVAC system is really a, a, a supporting, just that, a supporting system to the indoor built environment. And that makes some sense. Um, just uh, not to not to belabor the point, but just kind of help our listeners understand what you mean by it helps, but can't really prevent the spread or anything like that. Is you know an HVAC st- system is going to be able to introduce outside air that will help dilute uh, the uh, the air is and, and any uh, pathogens that might be in the air. Um, it's certainly going to, uh, through exhaust or that sort of thing, return through filtration, different filtration methods and whatnot. 
uh, is going to be able to reduce the quantity of pathogens in the air. But uh, at the end of the day, in an enclosed environment, an office, a classroom, whatever it might be, if you and I are sitting right next to each other and talking uh, right next to each other, just like we are right now, that HVAC system isn't going to necessarily do much in the way of mitigating direct contact spread from me to you. Right. Yeah. You know, and one of the other recommendations is it's if you're sick, you stay home, right? So the HVAC system is not going to prevent someone from entering, again, that enclosed built environment uh, and potentially spread whatever pathogen they may be carrying. All right. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of information coming out and there's probably new information coming out every single day that's uh, uh, that reacting to the science surrounding the, uh, uh, the coronavirus and, the, and COVID. Uh, who's really active in making those recommendations right now? Yeah. So uh, who we are mainly keeping our eye on um, that affect our industry is ASHRAE, uh, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, Air Conditioning Engineers. Um, along with uh, ASPE, the American Society of Plumbing Engineers. Uh, those are the two main professional um, industry organizations that uh, we look to not only for uh, guidance and recommendations on items like this, but just in general um, relating to our building systems. Um, with that, uh, they are they kind of reference and work in hand, I guess I'll say, with the CDC, um, WHO, the World Health Organization, and then also some uh, kind of ancillary to us uh, organizations like ASHI, the healthcare um, industry uh, organization and, and whatnot. Um, so those are, those are the main ones. Um, and really, uh, it's actually, we're not seeing new information every single day. Um, it's, it's kind of a twofold scenario where one, ASHRAE has actually had um, a lot of information on um, controlling airborne pathogens and whatnot, what, whatever they may be for a while. They've actually had a lot of research and white pages um, on topics like that published for a while. Um, it's just now all coming back to the forefront because of 2020. Um, but with that said, with this particular um, virus, uh, there's, they're still figuring out how to like what may be different about it. It's still relatively new, even though it's now August, almost September, and we've you know been dealing with this since the beginning of the year, whenever you want to say it. It's still relatively new. So are there specifics to this particular virus um, to be determined still? And that's across the board, right? And everything that we're seeing. But yeah, it's really kind of a using information that's been out there, um, but then also not a lot of actually daily brand new information just because people are still trying to figure it out. Specifically mentioning the era, uh, the year 2020 reminded me of a uh, graphic that I saw recently as uh, a review of 2020. Uh, the graphic said 2020 one star, very bad, would not recommend. And <laughs> I can't really com uh, argue with that very much at yeah. this point. Um, who know who knows what else is going to come up uh, in the future but uh, um, so you mentioned world health organization a lot of the a lot of the 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 uh, entities with impacts on this uh, you know start with American ashray American society you know ASP American society everything like that and then you mentioned the world health organization uh, is the the are these American entities really kind of taking a global lead when it comes to dealing with this, or are there other uh, there are other entities outside of the U.S. that are also having impacts? Mm -hmm. um, so I cannot speak to. I haven't seen other non 
American originated uh, entities influencing what we're doing in America. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, but ASHRAE is definitely a global organization and they have reach um, throughout throughout the world. Um, really just at the, the summer technical conference that uh, occurred virtually in June, um, they had speakers from all across the world. Um, so ASHRAE is definitely, even though it has the word American in there, um, is definitely um, one of the leaders, if not the leader um, in, um, you know, again, the research, the recommendations, the guidelines, those best practices. Um, so recommendations, what are some of the big picture recommendations that are out there? Yeah, so there's really, there's a handful of them. Um, it, uh, as you mentioned earlier, ventilation, filtration, air distribution, um, space conditions such as temperature and humidity, um, UV um, lighting, and then also the controls of the HVAC system. Those are kind of the big topics that uh, we can lump the review of, of either system design or existing system um, uh, kind of re returning systems back on and adjusting them and whatnot that uh, we can look into. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned uh, uh, previously that, uh, that ASHRAE's actually covered a lot of this stuff before uh, with uh, uh, as far as how to deal with airborne pathogens and whatnot um, is, is any of this, the, the recommendations that are coming out new and specific to the coronavirus, or is this very, very literally stuff that we've known how to take care of before, and now it's just a, a widespread Im implementation of it? Yeah, I would, I would say it's more the latter, because um, I, I don't think anyone has, relative to, again, the building systems, um, no one is seeing that this particular virus is... At this point, maybe maybe the way to say it needs to be treated from the HVAC system any different than other viruses, other pathogens, and whatnot that are are airborne and whatnot. So it's really um, the the research, the best practices, and how do we deal with these things um, that have been previously published and whatnot. Um, and again, we're they're they're coming to the forefront because of because of where we're at and how, how do we take those, those um, solid but older ideas and again, make sure that we're, we're properly um, accommodating them again, relative to owner, owner goals. Every, every project's owner goals are, are, are different as we know. Okay. Uh, if I was if I was a building owner or a uh, program administrator, say I'm a, a, a school district superintendent or uh, you know a university president, uh, that seems to be the common uh, the, the the common topic occurring right now since we're in uh, in August is how do we get schools back open and uh, whether it's you know elementary, high schools, universities, whatever it might be. Um, if I was overseeing a, a set of facilities where people needed to get back together and congregate again. Uh, what concerns would I have about opening up those buildings and, and uh, you know, what might be my path forward uh, as far as getting those facilities back open? Right. So I, I think they have a lot of concerns, right, but specifically about the, the HVAC systems in their buildings and the plumbing systems, again, um, is really, A, um, have your buildings been sitting dormant? Um you know, a lot of schools have offices have started to, but not all of them. So what what what's kind of our baseline? Are we starting with systems that 
have been sitting pretty dormant, um, you know, and besides just kind of really getting them up and running again and call it preventative maintenance or whatever to uh, um, deal with those items. Uh, what, what we're seeing, because a lot of these systems already have it, um, so it's re relatively easy to implement kind of day one is um, ensuring that that ventilation is that A, you have mechanical ventilation within your um, buildings, that it's operating properly, and that depending on what your how your system was designed and whatnot, is there the opportunity to actually increase ventilation, which, you know, has the con of potential um, increased energy use and whatnot. But do you actually have the ability, fans, fan motor sizes, ductwork sizes, et cetera, uh, to increase that ventilation so that we're just bringing more air in, taking more air out, and again, just helping any anything that is in the air um, potentially get out of that. Uh, as I mentioned with the energy side of it, kind of one of the potential flip sides of that is now all of a sudden, if we're bringing in more outside air in your system, heating and cooling wise, does it have the capacity to actually continue to maintain, um, you know, within reason, uh, the, the set points that your occupants are looking for? If all of a sudden we bring in a lot of outdoor air and it's been a very hot summer, um, and now all of a sudden instead of a 70 degree space, it's a 75, 78 degree space, that's not good either. Warmer conditions and uh, the again, the ASHRAE research that, uh, um, that they've they've seen relative to uh, you know how space temperatures and space humidity affects people's abilities you know with asthma and whatnot to to breathe breathe well I guess we'll say uh, conversely bringing in a lot of air in the up in the winter and it's really cold are we not able to keep the space up to temperature and we're drying out the air and it's very dry and again you know, just some people have a harder time breathing in drier air. So pros and cons with all that stuff. Um, but yeah, if you can bring in more ventilation um, without significantly negatively affecting temperature, and if you have humidity um, systems in there, also the humidity side of it, that's definitely what we're seeing as kind of the not easiest, but kind of the, we should focus on that scenario, I guess we'll say. Um, the, the next one's filtration. Again, um, every system is going to have filtration in it, but do we have the ability to increase the filtration from MERV 8 to MERV 13, MERV 14, whatever it may be? You might not physically be able to get a thicker filter in the air handler. Um, thicker air handler, increased static pressure. Can your fan handle it? Now all of a sudden we're dropping CFMs and we can't bring in that same amount of ventilation air uh, or either the baseline amount of ventilation air or that increased ventilation that we want to do. So a lot of these uh, pair with each other and kind of have, can have contradicting effects on each other. Um, but yeah, you know, again, even just a filter replacement, even if it might be for the same um, rating and MERV uh, number and whatnot, just even that, that maintenance of replacing the filters, uh, really important. Um, they also talk about air distribution. Um, so we can think of that in, you know, we've been in bathrooms that have like maybe one point of exhaust um, uh, collection and 
they're not the best bathrooms to be in for a long period of time from just, you know, an odor standpoint. So when you get when you get good air distribution relative to uh, coverage of space and not creating drafts and airflow or, uh, you know, feeling the airflow and whatnot, again, what at the end of the day is good practice. Um, that's what that's what we want to make sure is occurring um, either in new designs or is there a chance to uh, renovate existing spaces if need be, if they don't have good air distribution and whatnot. Um, the UV lights that um, do your air handlers have them? Are they working? Um, do your if they don't, do your air handlers have a section where the UV light uh, where you can go in and put in a UV light? Um, is there a section of duct you can put in an induct uh, model? Um, they also have ones that just go in the room, kind of plug in, hang on the wall. A bug zapper, a bug essentially. Zapper to a certain extent, <laughs> um, plug in models. So there's, you know, there's even, there's, there's ways to do it without affecting directly the HVAC system. Um, but that is, again, a, a reviewed technology that has uh, proven um, benefits there when correctly applied. Um, and then also, again, on the control side, uh, energy code wants us to, or requires, it doesn't want us, it requires us to use demand control ventilation when we have big spaces that have big, big occupancy loads that are going to vary across the uh, schedule of the building and whatnot. And one of the recommendations is actually to abandon that um, so that, again, going back to the ventilation side, we have ventilation coming in and out of the spaces continually while while the building is being, quote unquote, in occupied mode, rather than only when when people are in there. So, again, that goes back to energy use and what is what's the what's the what's the owner's goal um, and end, you know, really end game of there um, with that side of it. We've also seen um, a lot of. Uh, uh, if the HVAC systems have BASs, um, they typically will have schedules of, of the building occupancy. Um, so we're seeing also a, a, a pretty easy recommendation to implement is um, instead of saying your building is going to be occupied at eight, actually say your building is going to be occupied at six so that you get a couple hours of um, building flush, we'll call it with that ventilation system again before before your occupants are actually in there. So yeah, it ranges from some pretty minor revisions, change of filter to, uh, you know, it, it can be some wholesale changes uh, on those existing systems. So there's a, there's a, uh, there's a virtual smorgasbord of things that you can do individually that would, uh, that would impact the HVAC system that would create an environment that would help mitigate uh the, the spread of coronavirus, again, not eliminate by any stretch of the imagination, but help mitigate it. Mm -hmm. um, they're good ideas from an indoor air quality perspective as well, just general big picture mm -hmm. things. Uh, but uh, let's, let's touch on a, a couple of them. You mentioned uh, you mentioned MERV filters, MERV 8, MERV 13, MERV 14. Um, I'm hoping you can kind of explain a little bit what the difference is between those. Uh, and I'm going to throw a wild card at you here because there's a couple of buzzwords that are going to be thrown around when we start ta talking about filters. Uh, HEPA filters mm -hmm. uh, is going to be one. And another one is going to be, we've all, we've all talked about, uh, you know, up to this point, N95 masks. And is there a way I can fabricate essentially an N95 mask filter mm -hmm. for my HVAC system? 
Yeah. Uh, so really, the as um, the basics of it, as your MERV number goes up, the better of a filter it is. The 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 more particulates it can get out, and the smaller the the smaller particulates it can it can get out. So really, just it's think of it as a strainer. Think of right. It's uh, the more the higher the number, the smaller the particulates it can get. Therefore, in theory, it can get more of it. But smaller smaller strainer more more resistance in the system and whatnot. Um, relative to HEPA, we actually, uh, if I recall correctly, um, ASHRAE doesn't actually recommend that you need to go all the way to a HEPA filter per se. Really just going, if you are able to go from a MERV 8 to a MERV 13 filter, that increase, um, HEPA is going to be above these MERV ratings and whatnot. Um, that increase from 8 to 13 alone is you know exponentially uh, very very beneficial um, without having to go obscenely above and beyond that. And just so we're just so we're completely aware, like going from a MERV eight to a MERV thirteen filter sounds like a very simple thing to do. It sounds like I'm just pulling out one filter and putting in another filter, and I'm done. But if we're increasing the filtration capability of that media, uh, you're probably getting into a situation where you need to pay attention to the actual air handling equipment itself to see if you have the, the fan horsepower to actually push air through it. Is that fair? Sure. Yeah. So like a little, you know, thousand CFM fan coil, if you pull something like that, it's, it's, uh, you definitely need to be paying attention to that. If we're talking about a 10,000 CFM air handler, that's got just inherently some more, ooh, it's probably a little bit more closer to just pull, pull the filter out, put a new filter in. So yeah, it, it totally depends again on uh, the equipment you're dealing with and you know, how that's installed and was originally designed. Okay. Uh, I want to touch real quickly on, uh, I'll call it an energy code conundrum that you brought up there. Uh, you mentioned that demand control ventilation is something that is, uh, that is required by modern energy codes uh, for uh, different spaces in our buildings. It, so that's required by code. But then we're also sitting here talking about it might be the best thing for the indoor, indoor air quality of a space to not comply with that. How do like how does that work? Yeah, so I think um, I think maybe one approach to that is um, your you still would your system would still have the ability to have demand control of ventilation. Let's say um, you just also have the ability to override it. So I think that's kind of how um, you can justify it. I guess uh, <laughs> is is maybe the is is if that's what we want to call it. But um, the system has been provided with the 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 means and methods to meet energy code. Um, but we are we and that's really. The owner, the owner operator, right? The engineers are not controlling your system. We're not telling you what actually to do. Uh, but the owner operator is going to make the decision that, for uh, uh, again, whatever reason, they may need to abandon or uh, temporarily override things like that. Okay. Um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to yank the steering wheel here for a second, but uh, the, there's a reasoning for it. We're going to come back to the continued discussion about uh, how to get our buildings back open and, and HVAC systems operating uh, how we want them to. Uh, and that's going to be di uh, diving real quick into ASHRAE 62.1. Um, we haven't specifically mentioned 62.1 in our discussion at this point, um, but and this is going to be a little bit more technical aspect. But can you spend a minute here just kind of describing what ASHRAE 
Ashray 62.1 is and how that might apply here. Yeah, so 62.1 is a Ashray standard for just kind of building ventilation in general. Um, in the recent uh, international mechanical codes, uh, we actually have seen a very almost word for word uh, uh, adoption of that standard. So it's really just saying what what type of building do you have um, occupancy wise? Is it a restaurant? Is it a school? Is it a lab? Is it a bathroom? What what type of occupancy is it? Um, and what is the minimum airflow ventilation wise? And that can either be outside air or exhaust that we need to bring in and out of that, that building. Um, so again, that is minimum. Um, and uh, really from a code standpoint, um, like I said, they've generally adopted the same numbers out of 62.1. So we have to meet that. Um, and relative to probably where you're going with this is that meeting that minimum, even though it is a minimum, the minimum is still a really good design practice. It is still really, it's, it's a good, um, you know, uh, it's a good amount. Sometimes when we talk about code minimums and whatnot, um, like they are, they are just that they are pretty darn minimum. Um, but generally speaking, the ventilation rates are, um, they're, they're not so minimum that they're minimum, but they're not so excessive that it's crazy. So they're, they're kind of a good middle point, actually, in one of the sometimes seems like maybe one of the few things that we do code related that that addresses that. But standards wise, um, you know, when we when they talk about going above and beyond that, if we can even better but at minimum, if we can meet ASHRAE 62.1 standard, which again is very similar to what we see in the code, um, we're going to be pretty well off by meeting that particular minimum above and beyond in this case is, is better, more is better. So, so you mentioned that uh, the current edition, the 2018 version of the International Mechanical Code uh, essentially references the same values that the, the ASHRAE 62.1 would require. Um, so we can sit there and say that based off of the 2018 codes, that a code minimum building is meeting ASHRAE 62.1 in general. In, in general, there, there's yeah. probably some nuance yeah. there that uh, that we that, that's that's off, but yeah. some basic values. Yeah, basic values. 62.1 also covers filtration and um, controls and some things like that. So maybe uh, a little bit careful in saying that, but from a CFM volume standpoint in general, if you're meeting current codes, you're meeting the volumes that would be coming out of ASHRAE 62.1 as well. Okay. Obviously, uh, not every building out there has been built since 2018. So, uh, and there's a lot of jurisdictions that probably don't even require the 2018 International uh, Mechanical Code uh, at, at this point. If I have an existing building that met code at one point, you know, let's go back 15 years. Uh, if that building met code at that point, how far off am I? Who knows? Yeah. Um, so really what, what is beneficial there is to be able to get a, a, a tab contractor, someone that can just, what is the system currently working at? Um, and then you can, you can kind of figure out what that delta is there, how far off off may, may you be. Um, so it, it depends. Um, it's going to depend on year. It's going to depend on region, right? It's all, all those things again that are 
kind of outside of our control and whatnot. But really, it goes back to then um, being able to just what is our baseline? What are we doing today? Um, and even if it does meet it, like, is it operating like it's supposed to be? Um, did, did we have a damper that failed close? And the system can do it, but it's not because it's blocked and it's obstructed. So. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up, kind of, uh, you know, taking that sidestep and then coming back to, again, building building owners or facility owners uh, trying to get their buildings back open for occupancy. Um, I read a thing this morning uh, that said that uh, Kansas State University and their effort to try to get their campus back open for this fall went through and did an analysis of all of their classrooms to see what would need to be done in order to meet these ASHRAE recommendations. Uh, and what they found is that the, the vast majority of their classrooms actually met that because they were already set up to meet ASHRAE 62.1. Um, you know, that, those, those, aren't, uh, those classrooms aren't necessarily set up to meet the 2018 International Mechanical Code. They were meeting code from whenever they were built. Um, but going and employing some of those, uh, some of those practices, uh, uh, the, the good design practices, good installation practices from, from before kind of put them in a good spot. So uh, I think that the, the question for me that comes out of that is, uh, do we feel like there's actually a decent chance out there that when you go to look at a, a particular space, um, and I realize this is, this, this is a bit of a loaded question, uh, but if I go look at a particular space, is it, is it really just some, some really simple tweaks from a control system that I already have, or maybe it's just replacing a filter media or something like that with something that's a little bit more efficient. Is it, is it really that simple at the end of the day to, to address some of these things? Or are we looking at a glut of spaces out there that are just, they're hosed from the word go? Yeah. Well, it's both, right? Um, we've, all of us have been in buildings where um, it is that simple. Uh, it's it's maybe a newer design, or it, it might be even be an older design. And we've, we've those some of those buildings are so robust, right? Um, that uh, it it might be pretty easy. It might be um, really kind of fil filter changes, do a few checks of uh, you know CFM volume and whatnot, and make sure you're, you're good to go. We've also been in those buildings where corners have been uh, rounded <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, where just what you're starting with is, uh, for whatever reason, maintenance, first cost, owner investment of the life of the project, whatever it may be, where, um, you know, it's, it's going to take a little bit more effort to be able to implement this. But again... It really at the end of the day, it's kind of the owner, the, the, the building occupant. They're the ones that really need to say what they're going to incorporate. We can, we can give them, we can point them in the recommendations of ASHRAE and whatnot. Uh, but again, we are not the ones that are going to go in there and actually change these things for them or, you know, make them do it. Um, they need, uh, the, that building owner and whatnot needs to uh, weigh the pros and cons of, of, of all these recommendations and what their system is and their timeline, their schedule, all of that stuff to, uh, so that they can, um, at the end of the day, feel comfortable with allowing their occupants back into their building. Outside of just the, the pure coronavirus pandemic topic, the, the, uh, outside of that environment, what are, the, what are the benefits to a building by following these recommendations? 
Yeah. So I think, I mean, all of these topics that we have, if you really boil it down, are actually good design practices. And it's really just a matter of how how far are you taking them. All buildings have to have, or I'm sorry, all HVAC systems need to have filtration. The, 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 the air handler manufacturer is going to require that. Okay. So you have to have filtration, period. To what extent do you want to take it? Um, code is going to require us to have ventilation, period. Whether that is through the mechanical system or through windows and doors and openings and whatnot, we have to have it, okay? How far do we want to take it um, energy-wise, uh, building, you know, uh, building occupant kind of well-being, um, you know, stuff, avoiding quote-unquote stuffy buildings, uh, uh, drafty built, drafty um, systems, things like that. How far do you want to take it? Air distribution. Um, we're more than happy to run a duct right down the middle of your room, right? But architecturally, how does that apply? How do, how do we actually integrate that um, with, with uh, the architecture of the space and whatnot? So again, good practices, but what potential corner, corners are we going to be painted into because of the of, of, of the, the feel that you're trying to get into the space? Uh, temperature and humidity. Again, um, energy code has baselines of what we, how low we can design cooling to, how high we can design heating to. Uh, ASHRAE 55 is, uh, again, a standard that sometimes is applied to buildings and whatnot, but they have ranges. Um so again, really, we're talking about good design practices and what is what is the building goal at the end of the day on all that on all those items. Um, and then the controls again, it's really uh, um, buildings are going to have controls. Are they simple standalone controls or are they full blown BAS controls and whatnot? So again, how all all of these things are already relating to the building systems and the HVAC systems and the plumbing systems and whatnot. Um, it's just really how far do we take them with what the end goal of of the owner is. Yeah, and I think you hit on a on an important point there, and that is that even outside of the the, the aspect of coronavirus, these these good design practices, these things going above and beyond code minimums. Uh, or what might have been code minimums back when the building was originally built or permitted or whatever, uh, the, they, they really start to impact occupancy. They start to impact uh, how, the, how a building operates, um, you know, in, increasing the effectiveness of, uh, of students or, uh, or employees or whatever it might be, reducing sick days, um, creating environments inside of your building that are more sustainable uh, and that sort of thing. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of positive impact to these good design practices that extends beyond we're trying to mitigate the spread mm -hmm. of coronavirus, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, Ashray's probably sitting there going, we don't do these white papers for, our, you know, for, our, what for we literally <laughs> do them for your health, for your health, <laughs> or, you know, like just, we don't do them just for, for giggles, but it's, uh, yeah, the, you know, like it's, at, you know, at the end of the day, when you kind of take a look back at things, like all those things are related. Like if you were designing around a well building, you happen to kind of take airborne pathogen mitigation into account. If you um, are designing for um, a LEED certification and you're having to absolutely meet these standards that are now, um, you know, 
you have to meet them. They're now a little bit more like code than not. Um, again, you're you're indirectly addressing a lot of a lot of those uh, what at that point might be a secondary consideration. So, so I think that's actually a good segue into the last thing we we should touch on today, and that is you know we've been spending a lot of time talking about where we're currently at and what has been done to this point and what can we do at this point to to react to the situation. Um, how do you think this impacts design and construction moving forward? I think it really, um, first and foremost, is going to bring, again, um, these good design practices, we'll call them, um, to the forefront. Is that you, you as an owner may not be able to, uh, you may not want to be as first cost driven, um, for these reasons. Um, so I think it is, uh, I, I think the way we consult with our owners, um, in again, with their end goals is going to just really reinforce why, why we might not want to rely only on natural ventilation and look at mechanical ventilation systems in a building that a couple years ago, we'd say, you know, you can get by with natural ventilation. Um, really, I, I think it's going to bring to the forefront, um, again, like I said, just really reinforcing the good design practices that uh, we should should be including or, you know, should be addressing at least in a really, again, from a consulting standpoint, um, uh, advising our, our clients as to why and pros, cons and all that. And we've seen, we've seen in the history of construction that there are events that occur that cause shifts in code. Um, You know, you think about, uh, you you think about any large fire uh, issue. Um, There's a lot that, uh, that has come out of just looking back and reflecting on, you know, the great Chicago fire in the, in the late 19th century or uh, large uh, seismic events in California, whether it's in San Francisco or LA and how those have, shifted uh, seismic design structural mm-hmm. codes and that sort of thing. Do you foresee this particular issue um, because it's uh, it's a little bit more relevant to construction right now than say going back to 1918 and, and, and the flu epidemic then, do you, do you foresee this causing any sort of large scale shifts in building codes moving forward from a mechanical perspective? Uh, t- t- tough to say. I, I think in general, like we said, a lot of these things are already kind of included. Ventilation's already included. Temperatures are already included. Humidity is not. Um, but the, um, uh, you know, filtration means controls. Your system has to be controlled. Things like that. Um, you know, it's already there. Um, I think what my gut is telling me is actually we're going to see more changes on, you know, um, uh Again, maybe not so much from a code-driven standpoint, but from a from an architectural design standpoint, um, where we don't quite have as many of the open offices, where things are way more touchless. Um, you know, the touchless plumbing fixtures, so that uh, thing things like that. I think it's uh, my my hunch is that um, we'll see more more on that side than maybe necessarily the direct HVAC side. Um, but I've been wrong. Okay. Well, very good. I think that's, uh, that's about all we had to talk about today. Um, Aaron, thanks a lot for uh, coming on again. Anything that you want to uh, toss out there for our listeners uh, that might be coming up? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, again, just kind of reiterating that uh, um, even though it seems like there might be a, um, there's these kind of six topics uh, that we really don't have a one one size fit fits all. So uh, yeah, we're just kind of BG's more than happy and willing to uh, to help navigate through those things. So. All right. Well, uh, I think for our next episode, we're going to be uh, jumping into the world of commissioning and, and the value and effect of commissioning on the construction industry and, uh, and, and positive building turnover. Um, thanks for uh, tuning in to Building Matters. We hope you enjoyed the content today. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can send us an email at buildingmatters at bgbuildingworks.com or visit our website at www.bgbuildingworks.com. And we will talk to you on the next episode of Building Matters.